We're in a series on the prophet Elijah, a man just like us. And uh, this morning we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you'd like to follow along. California is home to both the highest and the lowest spot in the continental United States. Mount Whitney rises 14,505 feet into the sky, but only 85 miles away is Badwater Basin in Death Valley, which drops to 282 feet below sea level. It's kind of a cool illustration of the fact that you can go from the heights to the depths in a very short order. Now that's what happens to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Last week, we studied the confrontation on Mount Carmel, this spiritual battle between Elijah and the 450 priests of Baal. I mean, it was a terrific moment in history. The Lord had demonstrated his power once and for all in an undeniable way. The people of Israel had responded in a very positive manner. Surely Ahab and Jezebel would recognize their sin and repent and there would be peace in the land. A revival would begin. But Jezebel had not been on the mountaintop. She was not impressed with the stories. She was not swayed by the truth. She was not convinced of the moment. She was just angry at the loss of the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 19 opens with these words. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was so caught off guard by this threat against him that he fled to the wilderness afraid and running for his life. Oh, say it ain't so, Joe, not Elijah. The man who had courageously stood before the king and said, isn't it going to rain anymore? Afraid? The man who was fed by ravens, who promised the widow that the bowl of flour and the jar of oil would never run dry. The, the prophet who had raised the woman's dead son to life again, afraid. The man who stood alone on the mountaintop against the priests of Baal and proved once and for all that there is but one true God in the universe. Afraid? That Elijah? Yes, that Elijah. Remember, we saw this at the very beginning of the series. The book of James says, Elijah is an individual just like us. In spite of his great victory, he too was subject to fear and deep discouragement. Verse 3 says, When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. From Samaria to Beersheba was approximately 70 miles. This is no small journey. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. Now, it doesn't take a lot of brain power to deduce that this is a picture of burnout and depression. 
Despite his great victory on the mountaintop, he too was subject to low points of fear and deep discouragement. Now, I think there's a lot that we can learn about ourselves from this passage about Elijah. I think there's a lot we can learn about how God deals with us in our despondent, discouraging, depressing moments of life. I want you to see how God helped him. And I want you to see how God can help us. There's really basically kind of two two prongs that, that I want to explore this morning. The first one is simply this. Life's reality, which is what goes up must come down. Now, before I go into the message any farther, I, I, want, to, I want to take a side observation regarding this story. I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. I'm not going to charge you anything extra for this, all right? I just, I just want you to see this side note that's important for me. This story as well as many other stories in the Bible, convince me that the Bible really is God's revealed word to us, that it is not some fabrication of mortal minds. And here's why. If you study the ancient literature of this day and time, what kings wrote and what they didn't write, what, he, what was written about heroes and what was left out about heroes, you would understand that kings were quick to celebrate their victories. They were loath to record their defeats, and so oftentimes they didn't. You might read about a defeat in another nation, but you wouldn't read about the defeat to the king who was involved. You see, because we want our heroes to be just that. We want them to be heroes. We want them to be flawless. We want them to be perfect. We want them to be super. So if I'm writing at that day and time about a hero like Elijah, I'm going to leave out this chapter because this, this isn't a flattering chapter. This, this doesn't point to his heroism. This points to his frailty. This isn't about his success. This is about his failure. But I am ever so glad that God includes this chapter of Elijah's life in his word, that God takes all of his great leaders of the Bible, men and women. He points out not only their victories, but their defeats. He points out their successes and their failures. He points out their strengths and their frailties. Because you see, I have my frailties. I have my faults. I have my failures. I have my weaknesses. And if the people of God's word were only great and had no faults, I'd feel it wasn't for me. You'd feel it wasn't for you. But I'm so grateful that God includes everything. And he teaches us not just in the good moments, but the bad moments as well. In their classic work, Happiness is a Choice, authors Minrith and Meyer reveal the following insights. It says, the majority of people suffer from depression at one time or another. One in 20 is presently suffering from depression. It is the leading cause of suicide. Depression occurs two times more often in women than it does in men. It occurs three times more often in the higher socioeconomic groups. Depression occurs most often in the fourth or fifth de decade of life, although it may occur during any stressful period. Now consider this information from the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Major depressive disorder affects approximately 14.8 million American adults, or about 6.7% of the U.S. population age 18 and older, in any given year. That means that in a crowd of 2,800 this morning, statistically there are 200 people in our midst who are suffering with clinical depression. As many in, as, many as one in 33 children and as many as one in eight adolescents have clinical depression. 
People with depression are four times more likely to suffer a heart attack than those without a history of depression. It ranks among the top three workplace issues following only family crisis and stress. Depression's annual toll on U.S. businesses amounts to about $70 billion in medical expenditures, lost productivity, and other costs. Depression accounts for close to $12 billion in lost work days alone. And of course, as we've already seen, it is the leading cause for over two-thirds of the 30,000 suicides in America every year. Now, it's obvious from the text that depression was doing its work in Elijah's life. But you say, yeah, but what caused it? I mean, after all, Elijah knew God probably better than any of us in this room. He saw God work in ways that we never have. Let me me ask, how many of you have been fed by ravens? Raise your hands. How many of you have ever called down fire from the sky? Let, Let me see. See what I mean? None none of us in this room understand. Elijah was involved in that. He knew God in ways that we have never experienced. It's hard for us to understand how a man like that could become depressed, but it happened. And it'll happen to you, and it'll happen to me if we're not careful. So let me tell you why Elijah was depressed. Okay? First thing was he was physically exhausted. He was just wiped out. Physical exhaustion is a major cause of depression. He was completely worn out. At this point in time, he had been a fugitive in his own country for three years, running and hiding from the king and everybody. And he'd been building up to this great confrontation that took place on the mountaintop uh, against the priests of Baal. And, And all that went into that left him physically depleted. Then when the rain began to fall, he outran Ahab's chariot the 18 miles back into Jezreel. And then when Jezebel shakes her bony finger in his face and threatens to take his life, he takes off on a 70-mile journey, gets to that broom tree, sits down and falls asleep because he is utterly physically exhausted. There's an old Native American proverb that says, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. Just because you are a child of God does not mean that you are exempt from fatigue. We think we can run and run and run if we're doing something good and we'll never run out of energy. After all, if we're doing what is a good thing, if we're doing something for God, he'll give us the energy, right? People, we're we're human beings. We are vulnerable to exhaustion just like everybody else, no matter how good what we're doing may be. And when you are physically depleted, you are much more vulnerable to disappointment and despair. In the ministry of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, do you remember that there were times when Jesus would come away from the crowd and he would go off to some place alone so that he could pray and rest? Let me tell you, the crowd around Jesus' life at that point in time would have taken everything. They wouldn't have stopped. They would have just kept drawn out of him. But Jesus knew he had to get away. He had to have time to be restored. I also want to add this reminder. You may need medical help to deal with your depression. This is not a time, folks, for you to stubbornly resist by saying, huh, I'll just pull myself out of my own quicksand of depression. I can do it all on my own. (laughs) I remember on Saturday mornings watching the old black and white Tarzan movies. In nearly every episode, somebody was in quicksand. 
Sometimes Tarzan pulled them out with a great big vine from the jungle. Sometimes they disappeared through the surface of the quicksand, but always there was quicksand. I'm here to tell you that depression is quicksand. If you're having a moment, a time, a period, an extended period of depression, go see your doctor. If he gives you medications to help you get through it, take them, just like you would an antibiotic for an ear infection or insulin as a supplement to what your pancreas isn't producing. Don't mess around with depression. It's quicksand. And it's okay to get medical help. Here's the second thing. He was emotionally exhausted. And emotional exhaustion is also a, a, a trigger to depression. The, the, one, the one problem with celebrating a mountaintop experience is where do you go from there? Down. If you're on the mountaintop, the only, the only direction you can go is down. The period following any highlight moment can be the time of greatest danger to a person's outlook. Ask any new mother about what is called postpartum blues, and she may not understand it, but she knows how it feels. Ask anyone who has worked for a long time on a project for, for work. And when that project is complete, there is a letdown. What am, what, what am I going to do now? I've been working toward this for so long. Uh, I got to tell you, I often feel a little down on Sunday afternoons. I mean, the whole week builds to Sunday, and I'm emotionally, I'm emotionally spent when I leave here. So I sometimes I'm a little depressed on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> For that matter, sometimes it comes between first and second service on Sunday morning. For every peak, there is a valley. That's why we may tend to feel let down after a major holiday. When you look forward to something for so long and you build it up in your mind, oh, this is going to be the greatest Christmas ever, and it never is. Because our minds manufacture something that we can't live up to, and so when it's all over, there is this letdown. Mondays are called Blue Mondays because the weekend is over and we're back to the work week frustrations. This is one reason why successful people often face depression after achieving a great accomplishment. The feeling of victory doesn't last, but they expect it to, and when it doesn't last, they get discouraged and frustrated, throw up their arms and say, why bother? Do you remember the occasion when Jesus, he was actually on his way to heal a young man, and, and as he's going, there's a crowd of people that are thronging around him, and a woman in the crowd who's had this disease for 12 years, Reasons if I just sleep, slip up in the crowd. I won't bother him. I won't make any big deal about it. I just touch the hem of his garment. I'll be healed. So she did, and she was. And the minute she was healed after touching the hem of his garment, Jesus turned and said, I have felt the power flow out of me. Remember that? It's this whole concept that we have a limited amount of energy. If you are in the serving people business, if that is your career, you will understand the incredible emotional drain that it takes on you. Every person has a limited amount of energy that needs to be replenished from time to time. And the more people you are working with, the more it drains you of that energy. You need to be alert to the warning signs that your battery, your emotional battery is running low. Just as you are aware of the signs of physical fatigue, so get accustomed to emotional fatigue. And while it's understandable that Elijah would want to be alone, it wasn't good for him. When you're, when you're discouraged, being alone to sulk is the worst thing you can do. That's why I believe that God gave us the church. Now, could we have 
been able to come to faith just with God's word? I suspect we could. Could we have followed God through, through life by what we read in his word if we didn't have the church? I suspect we could. Could I survive throughout life without the church? I'm here to tell you, no. Because when you are alone, it's hard to stay the course. That's one of the reasons I believe God gave us the church and told us that we need to be a part of the body of Christ so that when we feel these moments of aloneness, we got somebody to come around us. That's why life groups are so invaluable, that you can get involved in a life group that's a small, intimate group that when the bottom draws out, drops out of your life, they'll be there to help pick you up. Third area was spiritual exhaustion. Elijah was, was just absolutely spiritually exhausted, and that can happen. He concludes, incorrectly so, that everything he did had been for nothing. Jezebel and Ahab didn't change. There was not going to be a revival in the land like he had hoped. The last three years of his life had been a total waste. He had lost his spiritual vision. He said, I've had enough, Lord. I've had it up to here. He lost his spiritual purpose. I'm ready to die. Take my life. He lost his spiritual perspective. I'm no better than my ancestors. Nobody asked him to be better than his ancestors. God didn't say, you've got to be the best one yet, Elijah. God just gave him a job to do and asked him to be faithful. See what happens when we get spiritually exhausted? In the wilderness, God asked him, what are you doing here? And I, and I want you to hear his reply. 1 Kings 19.10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Here Elijah plays the martyr. Your plan didn't work, God. What's more, your prophets have all been killed, and I'm the only one left. And if I wasn't here right now, I'd be dead by this time, too. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. <laughs> That's what Elijah's doing here. Have you ever played the martyr? Uh, come on, be honest with me. Have you ever played the martyr? Of course you have. I have two Emmys. I've played it so well at home. <laughs> you ever feel sorry for yourself? You ever feel sorry that nobody else is feeling sorry for you? <laughs> when we get to that point, it is easy to start blaming God for all of our problems and that he should feel fortunate that we're on our side. But if we don't do something, if he doesn't do something pretty quick, we may not stay on his side. That's going to be bad news for you, God. Let's not play the martyr. We don't play it well. But when you feel like you are the martyr, realize that that is a trigger to the fact that you're probably spiritually exhausted. Now, any one of these three areas, physical exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion, or emotional exhaustion can trigger that. But when all three of them happen at the same time, you are a number one candidate for depression, and all three of them hit Elijah at the same time. Which brings us then to God's promise. What is down can rise again. I like this observation from one of America's greatest inventors, Thomas Edison. I never allow myself to become discouraged under any circumstances. The three great essentials to achieve anything worthwhile are first, hard work, second, stick-to-itiveness, and third, common sense. Now, that's great advice. Those things, if you can do them, will help keep you on top of things. But not every circumstance is so easily handled. 
Not every moment does that work in every person's life. No two people are the same. Everybody handles these things differently. Look in verses 5 and following in, in chapter 19. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. At, at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now notice first what God didn't do to Elijah. He didn't chew him out for his human frailty. God could have been justifiably angry with Elijah for crumbling under the weight of Jezebel's threat on his life, but he didn't. You see, the God who created us knows us better than we know ourselves and understood what was going on in Elijah's life. Folks, if you live with a family member or you work with a coworker who is struggling with discouragement or depression, don't preach at them. Ask my daughters and they'll tell you that one of the things about growing up in a preacher's home is that you occasionally get a sermon when it's not Sunday. <laughs> I learned pretty quick that those sermons are not effective. Most people know what they do wrong. You don't have to beat it into them how bad they are. They just need your encouragement, your help, and your support to get out of the pit. God didn't preach at Elijah. God didn't beat him down. And secondly, notice then what God did do for Elijah. He provided him with genuine rest and refreshment. Good food and time to physically restore are indispensable to coping with depression. I don't know what it was that the angel baked for him, but there was food there, some kind of a food, and, and this happened more than once, and he rested more than once. God was restoring him physically for what he was about to experience that would restore him emotionally and spiritually. God also provided some gentle confrontation. A great reminder said, uh, Elijah, what are you doing here? And you know what? God listened. He, he, Elijah didn't start into this rant and, 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 and God interrupt him. God let him vent. God let him just get it all out of his system, even though he had a skewed perspective. For instance, he says, you know, God, I'm the only one you got left. Without me, you're, you're, nobody is here. That wasn't true. Now, God doesn't interrupt him to correct him at that point in time. Later, God will fill him in. But there were 7,000 who were left in Israel who had not ever compromised their spiritual walk, who had never worshipped Baal. God said, I've got 7,000 of you left. You're not alone. But that didn't come till later. God just let him vent. Once again, we see the devastating power of feeling alone. You know, he thought he was all alone. He wasn't. Again, that's why the, the church is so vital. I, I tell you, I, I come on a Sunday morning and, and I know my perspective's a little bit different because I'm, I'm preaching. But, you know, you can have a bad week or, or you can read the bad news or you can watch the moral decline of our country and you think, is, any, is anybody feel like I feel? Is, is, is anything positive anymore? And I walk in here and I'll leave somewhere between 12.30 or 1 o'clock this morning 
And, and I have been with nearly 3,000 of you, and I walk out here feeling buoyed up because I know I'm not alone in my walk. I'm not alone in my frustration. I'm not alone because you all feel the same way. You all love the same Lord that I love, and together we're going to make it through this world no matter what happens in this world that's broken because God is going to take care of us. And that value to the church and not being alone, you cannot put a price tag on it. God was saying, Elijah, you're not alone. I'm with you. And there are 7,000 others who are with you. And then God commanded a, a, a great, uh, or communicated a great truth to him. He said, you're going to take a journey. 40-day journey. Interesting, isn't it? That 40 again. Mount Horeb is where he was headed. Mount Horeb is known by another name in the Bible, which is probably more familiar to you than Horeb. It is also the mountain we call Mount Sinai, same mountain. It is the great mountain of God. This, is, this seems to be the locale where God speaks his mind. And I've often wondered if the cave in which Elijah stayed was the very cave where Moses stayed when he received the law. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, those three things, the great wind that tore the mountain apart, the, the earthquake and the fire, those were all things that had happened on that mountaintop when the Israelites were camped out at the bottom. God is saying, Elijah, I can work that way if I have to, but I would prefer to work through the still, quiet whisper and voice. I want to work through the spoken word. Elijah, you have been a proclaimer of that word. You trust me, Elijah. Listen to my words. Keep your eyes on me. Elijah, I will get you through. And then the last thing God did was gave him a job. Go back and take care of these concerns of mine. He said, go back the same way you came and do this and this and this and this and this. He gave him a list of things he had to do. You know what? When you're discouraged, one of the best things you can do is say, hey, I have purpose. I have value. I have something that I have yet to do. God could have said, you know, Elijah, you just really messed up. I'm going to put you out to pasture and find somebody else to do the work. But God said, no, Elijah, you're not done. I'm not finished with you yet. You've got, you got work to do. One of the best things you can do when you're feeling down and discouraged and depressed is get your mind off yourself. Go do something for somebody else. Be around other people. Have a purpose that reflects God's purpose for you. And realize that if you still have breath, if you're still on this side of the sod, God's not done with you yet. He has a job for you to do. And as long as you've got a job for God to do, you can keep going. Some unknown but wise sage penned these words some years ago. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and when you want to smile, but you have to sigh when, you, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver lining of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far, so stick to the fight when you're the hardest hit. 
It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. I know there are a lot of hard times in life. And I know you can get physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted. Happens to me. It'll happen to you. Happened to Elijah. And if it happens to all of us, hanging close to God is the only way to get through it. And hanging close to God's people is the only way you're going to get through it. And seeking the right counsel and medical help is the only way you're going to get through it. And there's nothing wrong with you when you get that way. Unless you're bound and determined to stay that way. Stay out of the quicksand. The way you begin this journey is with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him as Savior, that's the starting point. Because when you're walking with him into the future, he's got your back.